Well, Pastor David is not here this morning. Him and his wife Carol are back east celebrating the dad's birthday, and, and we will look forward to his return very soon and here next Sunday. Um, probably we're wondering, well, where's Kim? Uh, and Kim is back east as well as uh, we're celebrating a second grandchild, uh, Ezra Arthur, and uh, rejoicing, and Lord willing, we'll get a chance to meet grandson as well. Well, I, as I have this privilege to bring forth the word of God, you know, many of you were praying for us uh, a few weeks ago while we were in Papua New Guinea, and uh, it was good to just share of God's faithfulness there in Papua New Guinea through the work of promise is doing, and we're able to share that last week. But during that time, during our, we were staying at a missionary house there, and Kim and I met this older couple who were returning, who were returning back to Papua New Guinea to visit their village. You see, this couple had ministered to a local peoples there, and they, it took them 37 years to translate the scriptures. But they sought to serve faithfully, and they now they're in their mid 70s, and they're going back to see how the church was doing and to uh, exhort them. And they were going to live in the hut that they spent their 37 years there to uh, minister. And they're still there because it was, they said they were going to stay there for six weeks. And I just thought, wow, that's amazing. But during that time, too, at the missionary home, we got to meet another gentleman who, who came to speak to other missionaries there in Papua New Guinea on the topic of grief and loss. And he himself understood this subject, having lost two wives to cancer, having been married to each wife of over 20 years, and both of them succumbing to cancer. And, and all I could think of as I met the, this couple and this individual and, and several other missionaries was, what keeps them going? How does one just persevere and grow in love with Christ? How do you finish well? I mean, those are the questions that I ask, and I'm sure you too, when you hear about people who just persevere. Listening to them, and I, I, I just marveled. But I was reminded that God's work is something that causes sometimes pain. And, and I appreciate what Pastor David was, has been going over the book of Ephesians and in, in Ephesians chapter 3, we, well, we saw God unveiling his mystery of drawing people from all kinds of backgrounds. Jews, Gentiles, you and I, to create this church, this, this bride. And, and I found that amazing. That, and I marveled when we were in Papua New Guinea to see that there is people from all kinds of backgrounds. We had nothing to do with them. And yet God have, has knitted our hearts, even as we were seeing this video of the Nosu peoples. These are people you may not ever see in your lifetime, but we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And Pastor David, as he was going over chapter three, you know, you go on to chapter four, and he's just started on this whole topic of unity. And just the fact that uh, Paul's emphasis there in chapter four of Ephesians was on maintaining the unity of the spirit and the unity of the body. But you and I all are well aware that pursuing unity can often be a grinding battle. 
And the reality is that we don't always just get along. In other words, we don't always enjoy being confronted with our sin or to be exhorted, to be taught, to be admonished, perhaps to be rebuked. And, and for those who seek to pursue Christ, sometimes it gets wearisome. You know, many can relate that you, you pursue it because you are pursuing Christ and you want to see others grow in their obedience to Christ. Or maybe they don't know Christ and you seek to reach out to them. For Paul, it was bringing the gospel to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And, and Paul writes there in Ephesians 3 that, so you see me suffering, but I, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. And that thought of losing heart um, has struck with me as I thought about these people I met. How do you not grow weary and lose heart? Well, if you have a copy of God's word before you, I want you to open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. It's... Paul writes, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We, meaning Paul and Timothy, do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, It is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let me provide context of Paul's writing here. You know, 2 Corinthians is the apostles' follow-up letter to the church in, in Corinth. See, the apostle Paul, along with Aquila and Priscilla, first arrived in Corinth as recorded there in Acts 18. And, and they were very effective, uh, and it appeared very Hopeful as a church was started, despite a lot of opposition. So the local church was established, and then they departed. But trouble rose, and Paul writes at least a couple of letters of concern. And so we have First Corinthians um, kept to express those concerns. But more bad news <clears throat> arose as false teachers appeared, and they began to question Paul about a. Uh, Paul's teaching and his authority as an apostle. As an apostle, and Second Corinthians is really a letter of response in defense of his authority. So, the first three chapters there in Second Corinthians, Paul seeks to promote comfort to the church in Corinth of, of God's sovereign control over suffering. That's in chapter one. The power of forgiveness in chapter two, as well as God's grace through the gospel there in chapter three, and it's. Those are all good and important truths. But now he gets to the heart of the people's concern. How do you press ahead being bold to proclaim Christ when there are so many 
who oppose the ministry. In other words, and raise this to a practical level, have you ever labored and cared to minister or to serve or to proclaim God's word only to be undermined of your authority and teaching? Many of you as parents have faced that time or are facing that, I should say present tense. Um, many of you who are educators or teachers, perhaps you're a friend or a co-worker. Missionaries certainly can relate to this of just pouring out your heart to people and not always resp- People don't just say, glad you're here. It's not always that way. Certainly pastors and elders, deacons, have faced that, where it's not always received well. Well, how do you lose heart? It's easy. It's being, it's being overwhelmed with life's circumstances. Disappointments, discouragement sets in, and you sometimes feel abandoned or even betrayed. It happens to even the best of men. We see that throughout the scriptures. I think of Enduring trials, both physically and relationally, I think of the, the book of Job covers that. I think of Moses. Moses just serving the people of God as they were rescued from bondage and slavery. And after so much time and so many miles, the people were still whining and complaining. And it got to Moses. And we see that recorded in Numbers 20 where that anger, where he struck the rock. You see that in David, King David fleeing from his son Absalom. And you read some of the Psalms just depicting some of the crying out to God. Think of Psalm 142 that way. I think of Elijah, the great prophet, who saw that great victory over the Baals of that time. And yet, just a few verses later, He's running for his life. He's, he's cowering because he he's knows that he's being pursued by Jezebel for his life. I think of Jonah. Jonah, seeing what happened in Nineveh. And you see at the end of chapter 3 and beginning of chapter 4, Jonah's angry at God. And, and just <clears throat> God relenting of the judgment on the people of Nineveh. I think of Peter. Peter being overwhelmed by the fear of man. And you see in Galatians chapter 2, where, again, he just, uh, the pressures were there, and he, he compromised, and he had to be confronted by the Apostle Paul. I think of John Mark in Acts chapter 13, first missionary journey. But you read, after they were sent out, that... A few verses later, John Mark leaves the team. He defects. It happens to the best of men. It happens to you and I. Luke records there in Jesus' words in Luke 18, 1. Jesus told the disciples a parable to the fact that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. I think of Paul's writing in Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. That's ministering to the church. That happens. 
Yes, in the church. Second Thessalonians 3.13. As for you, brothers, Paul writes, do not grow weary in doing good. Certainly the Apostle Paul faced many of those temptations to lose heart. You see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 of just some of the trials he faced. There we read 1 through 6, but there in verses 8 and 9, Paul writes that we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. He goes on in chapter 6 and says that as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. I mean, any one of those would just kind of, we could quickly lose heart. But all of those? And yet Paul was able to not lose heart despite the many trials and temptations. The apostle provides this instructive insight here. And so this morning, we will look at why. Why we must not lose heart in our efforts to make Christ known. There's a pastor back in the 50s, 60s, a guy named D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who wrote a classic book called Spiritual Depression. There's a great quote there. He says, quote, The greatest need of the hour is a revived and joyful church. Unhappy Christians are, to say the least, a poor recommendation of the Christian faith. Close quote. You know the root, root cause of all that, of spiritual depression? He, he says it in summary, is that so often we listen to ourselves and we must preach truth to ourselves rather than listening to ourselves. And I, that's what I'm seeking to do is that we need to preach truth to ourselves. I think of the psalmist who reminds us in Psalm 19, verse 7, that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving or restoring the soul. And I trust that that's what we're going to look at as, as Paul unfolds there in 2 Corinthians 4. And he begins with the first point there. We must recognize God's mercy. And Paul writes there in verse 1, that therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. The New American Standard Version says, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. And I like that translation because the idea is that, that Paul is saying, as I've received mercy personally, I have also received mercy in the ministry as well. But... We have to have that foundation there. That It's critical to have that perspective. We are the recipients. You and I who follow the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. We are the recipients of his mercy. How do I know that? Because the scriptures tells us. Paul reminds there in Ephesians 2. You know this verse. Verse 8 and 9. That for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is what? The gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. Paul has to, uses that theme of understanding the mercies of God. He writes in Romans 12, 1, 
He says, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual service of worship. You see, it's understanding the mercies of God that lays that foundation, that everything that we do for God, that is God-honoring, stems from that core belief of this truth, that I, you and I, are the recipient of His mercy, since really I deserve His wrath and His judgment immediately because of our sin. But that is a foundational battle to not lose heart, is to understand that you and I are the recipient of His mercy. It's so vital. And it leads to the second point that Paul makes here, is that not only you recognize God's mercy, but he goes on and says, we must renounce personal gain. Paul writes there in verse 2, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. By, By the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. You know, Paul is driven to to remain focused on bringing God's word unhindered since he is serving an audience of one. And he cites three specific ways of renouncing that personal gain. He first points that Paul, he says his life was transparent. His actions and his words were consistent. There was no duality there. He says he is renouncing disgraceful or disgraceful underhanded ways or as the new american standard says things hidden because of shame you see his life was an open book and so he says i i am renouncing by laying open this is what i say and what i do look at me i my life is transparent but he goes on and says that not only was he his life was transparent but paul's words were truthful he says he was he was forthright he says in renouncing personal gain, he's refusing to practice cunning or trickery or not walking in craftiness. You know, he did not tamper. He did not adulterate. He did not change God's word. He just presented there plain. He was not deceitful in using God's word for his own, for his own personal gain. I think that's a great temptation for many of us is to change God's word a little bit because sometimes we end up wanting to please other people. And, and you know, sometimes, and I confess, I'm, I'm guilty of this as well, that, you know, you may want to, you know that this person is walking in sin and it's, it's wrong, but you come and go, oh, it's all right. You're okay. Are you being truthful? Am I being truthful? You're not okay. If you are in sin, you are dead in your trespasses and sin. You will face the wrath of God. You face the judgment. But sometimes, because we just want to be nice, you're okay. It's okay. Get over it, you know. You're not okay. That's not what God's word says. And so Paul's saying, his words were truthful. We have to be mindful that Satan is the father of lies. And he likes to just change things off course. Let us not be guilty of the same. That we just change God's worth so that we can be light. Paul's words not only were transparent, his life was transparent, his words were truthful, but Paul trusted God who sees everything. What, what kept Paul from losing heart? 
He says he renounces personal gain by commending ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Remember, he serves the audience of one, one who sees everything. And Paul wrote earlier there uh, in chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians that, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. He speaks forth truth because he understands, I am under the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and I am not going to change God's word here. You know, trusting God who sees everything enables Paul to regard, as he, he writes, I regard no one according to the flesh. And that's how we ought to, in, in order to renounce personal gain. You know, for those who are in vocational ministry, you think those who are in vocational pastors, missionaries, they're immune from these things, and it's not true. We are just as susceptible and uh, perhaps even a greater temptation. I, I'm just reminded of 1 Timothy 6 and Paul's warning um, to, that, that we must live, have a godly contentment. Why? Because the love of money is, is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. We must renounce. We must renounce that personal gain. How do you get there? You go, gosh, I wouldn't. How could someone do that? Well, how do you? How does someone get there? Seeking personal gain. You know, when you forget or neglect that you are the recipient of God's mercy and begin believing the life of entitlement. That I deserve this. Yeah. Yeah, I I worked hard. I I deserve uh, something for all this. When you forget God's mercy on your life. When you seek personal gain, either materially or even by reputation, to be thought well of. How do you find yourself in that slippery slope? It's by, by not trusting God's truth as sufficient. And thus you would need to make you make compromises. It's a dangerous slide. And it happens all too often. And we need each other. Of holding each other accountable. Praying for one another. Building one another in truth. Even confronting. That's why the unity of the church is. It's not an easy. It's a supernatural task and work. I appreciate Pastor John MacArthur's commentary on this whole thought of. Of renouncing personal gain in the view that many in this world, it seems pretty apparent, they are looking for personal gain as a result of proclaiming the gospel. And it's not really a true gospel. He states, the false teachers did not want to offend people. They wanted to make money from them. And that is so true today, that there are many who seek to just make money out of bringing the word of God. And yet the Apostle Paul says, no, I renounce. I renounce those things of personal gain. In Papua New Guinea, we saw that firsthand as well as as, uh, there were this uh, group called the Cargo Cult seeking to take away the new believers and uh, and unbelievers as well by just promising wealth and 
health and wealth. And uh, it's, that whole health and wealth gospel is, is all over, but it was there in Papua New Guinea as well. I think of throughout the scriptures, you see that as well. You see that in Simon the Magician. Remember in Acts chapter 8? You know, he was looking for something, a, a personal gain. He, as he was seeing that the work of the Holy Spirit, and can I buy some of that? You know, Paul's warnings of evil imposters throughout the writings, you, Paul tells us in Acts 20 to the Ephesian elders that, that there are going to be people, they're savage wolves, they're going to draw disciples after them for personal gain. Paul has to warn Timothy over and over, 1 Timothy 1.6, certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion and Desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. There are people who are going to draw away. Paul has to remind again in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy that, that these false teachers have an unhealthy craving for controversy, for quarreling about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. You see, Paul understood too well that one must renounce personal gain. It starts first with understanding God's mercy. It's second, just renouncing personal gain. But third, going back to 2 Corinthians 4 here, verses 3 and 4, realize their spiritual blindness. Paul writes, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul's words of a veil is, is so illustrative of just because a veil is what? It's a covering. It's to keep hidden. And so Paul stated that those who are unbelieving are perishing because there's a veil that covers their ability to see clearly. It is a blindness of the mind in order, to keep, in order for people to keep in order to keep people from seeing the light. And it's so critical to be reminded of this truth. Why? When we understand that an, your unbelieving family member your unbelieving friend, your unbelieving co-worker. They are under they are under the power of the God of this world. And there ought to be a level of compassion and sympathy for you too were once under that spell. You too were under that. That, that the God of this world has blinded you. But... Paul reminds us that he says there earlier in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians that those who are unbelievers, their minds were hardened. This is chapter 3, verse 14. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. 
That is so important to understand. When you understand that there's, and realize that there's spiritual blindness, I trust that it doesn't, it lends a level of understanding that you too, once again, understanding God's mercy on your life, you realize that that blindness there, it's only the power of God to make that change possible. I think of the hymn, you know, Amazing Grace. I was blind, but now I see. That's only a product of his mercy on your life. And we must not forget that. When, and it, it, helps us to lo- it helps us from not losing heart. Because sometimes it is hard. It is difficult. You pour your heart to someone you love. And there's no change. It's just like they're dead. They just don't see it. You try to breathe life into them. You try to revive them. And it's, and you, all you can do is just say, God, be merciful to them. You pray for them. You plead with them. But I say pray for them. And you just realize that there is spiritual blindness. But it helps guard against from losing heart. So I said recognize God's mercy Renounce personal gain. Realize spiritual blindness. Fourth, remember Jesus is Lord. Verse 5 says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. In other words, what Paul is saying is that it's not about you. Because sometimes we personalize it, right? You know, and we need this reminder that whom we are proclaiming is Jesus Christ. I think of, uh, just look a few verses later in verse 7 that, you know, Paul says that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. It's not about us. But so often we get discouraged because we are personally offended. We are tempted in our, in our me culture to think about ourselves. And we need to be reminded that our proclamation is not about what we want or what we think, but it's for the glory and honor of Christ. And this is especially true as parents. What we often want is conformity. We want conformity to our demands versus the conformity conformity to Christ. Isn't that so? We want them to be just like me. Well, maybe not. Uh, but, you, you know, you have a certain standard and you, you say, you must do this. But is it really aligned with conformity to Christ or is it conformity to your, your views? And that's how, why it's so easy to get discouraged and, and down. But when you remember that Jesus is Lord and it's not about you, what motivates you to do what you do? Do you see yourself as an instrument used by God because you are the recipient of his mercy? When you think of Philippians 1, 6, you know, many of you know this passage that he who began a good work will what? Complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. And you know that it's, it is God, all, all of God. But sometimes we just forget. And we think it's God, it depends on me. And but when you recognize that you are, if you're an, you are an instrument used by God, consider this that perspective because it helps to fight against self-pity, self-focus, or the feelings of worthlessness. 
You know, it's not about you. It's about the God who began that good work in you and is completing that good work. And we need to keep that in focus. Losing heart means losing perspective that Jesus is Lord and he is in control. He is the one whom we take great comfort in that in his providential care. And so I exhort you this way to think about that, to remember that Jesus is Lord. Finally, Paul goes on there to recall that God's gift, recall God's gift of revelation. You find there in verse 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul is recalling that God's mercy was extended through revelation, shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of God. In other words, it's because of that revelation through his revealed word that makes it possible for even you and I to have something worthy to say. That's why, that's why we emphasize here for the missionaries to translate the scriptures, to bring it in their heart language. is, is so that that gift of revelation, to read it in, in your heart language is so critical. And, and I think of, you know, as God revealed himself to the Apostle Paul, I'm reminded there in Acts chapter 26, Paul recalls Jesus' words, Acts 26 verse 16, that Jesus speaking to Paul, that rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You see, there's a common notion for many churches to believe that anyone can respond to the gospel if it's just presented in a nice creative package. The problem is the gospel is not a marketing tool. The power of change lies in the message being made clear by the preaching or the declaring of God's word, God's revealed word, and his spirit to change that person's heart. You know, it's so important to understand that to recall having God's gift of revelation. Why? Because when you have this perspective, like the Apostle Paul, when you recognize that it is a gift, he did not lose heart. Even though there were temptations to, to, to do so. You know, Paul writes there earlier in chapter 1 of Second Corinthians. Paul writes that, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. In other words, he was going through a hard time. Um, and yet, he didn't quit. It kept him from being not only a, not being a quitter nor a deceiver. It kept him from growing discouraged because he was the recipient of God's mercy and grace. Why am I addressing all this? Why am I addressing this matter at all? You know, the Apostle Paul faced many accusations that he was not a true apostle, uh, apostle but a false one. And he's falsely accused many times. But... You know, in ministry, 
And when I say ministry, it's not just the ministry um, of a pastor or an elder or a missionary, but you as ministers, that means ones who bring forth the word of God to bear to those in your sphere of influence. You are a minister. There are times where you are misunderstood of your intentions, your, your commitment to practice and preach truth. People say, who are you? Who are you to tell me? Ever get that? Maybe your son or daughter who raised you. I mean, who you raised, I'm sorry. <laughs> and they look at you like, who are you? And you're going, what? I can't believe this. Um, I raised you, you know. And, and just gaining, recognizing God's mercy. I'm not doing this for personal gain. I just realized there's just spiritual blindness here. I remember that Jesus is Lord. It's not about me. It's about our God. And I just, just need to recall God's gift of revelation. We need to preach those truths to ourselves. For those of you who are seniors, maybe even when you're growing old, uh, and, and this context Paul writes in verse 16, um, it's not applying to those growing old. He was facing a lot of persecution, but... But I think of verse 16 there in chapter 4. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. You see, some of you may feel that <laughs> uh, as you get up in the years, that outer self is just wasting away. But I'm not going to lose heart. Why? Because the things that are seen are transient. The things that are unseen are eternal. And I want to be in the business of doing things that last for all eternity. That's why it's so important to bring forth the word of God to bear to those around you. To not lose heart in this way. What's at stake is all eternity. I mentioned about the missionary uh, who took 37 years. This couple. And uh, I remember him saying... We just kept going, not knowing. We just kept going, not knowing what's going to come out of this. You just move forward by faith in the one who has protected, who's provided and guided you thus far. And he this um, gentleman and his wife said to me, there were many times where I was tempted to be depressed because of the many discouragements. But I look back and see that they were just distractions. They were distractions from what God has set me aside to do. Can you look at your circumstances as perhaps maybe distractions and to see that God has set me apart by his mercy to, for a purpose, to make Christ known wherever that sphere of influence is. And there, there are distractions. They, they can be cause for discouragement and even depression. But I'm not going to I'm not going to quit here. I'm not going to lose heart. Because I recognize I've been the recipient of his mercy. I'm, going to, I'm not doing it for my personal gain. I'm realizing there is a war here. And there are many who are blind. I'm realizing it's not about me. It's Jesus is Lord. And I'm recognizing that all of this is a, it's God's gift of himself revealing through his word. And I just must preach that word before people. I close with the example of Isaiah. Remember Isaiah, the prophet? 
the one who saw what was happening to his land. He saw that that the nation was going to fall apart. It was going to be taken captivity. And he, he writes there in Isaiah 40. And I think it's a, an important perspective for all of us to have. Is that God still reigns even when we look around and go, man, it's looking pretty bleak. It's really dark. It's very discouraging. You look at the news reports. But I'm reminded of Isaiah's words. Things haven't changed. Things have not changed. Isaiah 40, verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We need to continue to speak forth truth to ourselves and to one another. One of the means God provides is not only through his word, but through music. And I asked Mike Tafada and the worship team to lead us in a closing hymn, Our Great Savior. And I often sung, I often have sung this hymn, and I sing a lot of hymns. And as a matter of fact, I gave a handout uh, of just recommended books as well as songs to sing to, they've been helpful personally, but to not lose heart by speaking truths, singing truths to, to oneself. I think of just that, I'm just, uh, in, the, in the hymn that, that he is a friend, that's, that's, that the God that we worship is closer than a brother. He is with us to the very end. And we must um, speak those truths. And so I, I would ask that way as you sing, sing it out to the Lord, but we need to sing it to ourselves as well. Let me close in prayer and then we'll close with a song. Our Heavenly Father, thank you in this time of, this month of Thanksgiving. We ask that you would grant us a heart of Thanksgiving that we are able to look to you Jesus Christ, our Emmanuel, our God who is with us. Father, we ask that in those times where we're tempted to grow weary, to lose heart, to grow discouraged, Father, lift our gaze upward that we may recognize you are a God who has shown mercy to us. And we want to renounce personal gain. We want to realize that there is a spiritual battle and there's spiritual blindness all around us. We, rem- we want to remember that you, Jesus, is Lord and not us. And we want to recall that your gift of revelation is really a gift to us. 
And so, Father, we ask that you would strengthen and fortify us in the inner man. I think of the church in Sutherland Springs, Texas. Oh, Father, we ask that you would comfort them too, as it's been a very tragic week. And there are others around this world who suffer for your name's sake. Oh, Lord, help us as your people to not forget that you are our God who still reigns above. And so, as we sing to one another and as we are dismissed, help us not to lose heart. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.